Thank you, Tracy, for reading that scripture for us. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have a talking Jesus doll to accompany me, but thank you, Matthew. That was kind of cool. And yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, well, as many of you know, there is a worldwide global sporting event happening right now in Brazil. It's the FIFA World Cup. And just like the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, I am rooting for the best team in the tournament, which is the United States of America. All right. Thanks, Americans. Because I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm Okay. You guys show no love. Come on, Americans. Be proud. Well, the last two World Cups, um, there's one team in particular that has prevented the U.S. from advancing. They beat the U.S. the last two World Cups. And if the U.S. would have won, they would have advanced. And that was the nation of Ghana. And so this year, in this World Cup, uh, not only was Ghana in the group as the U.S., but that was the first match that the U.S. draw. So as Americans, I'm sure the team, and as fans, we were looking for a little bit of revenge. We wanted to give a little payback. And so um, that's actually what happened. Uh, the U.S. actually won. Come on now. Yeah, okay. And in fact, Clinton Dempsey scored the opening goal in the first minute, actually at like the 38th second. And that was the sixth fastest goal in, in World Cup history. And so the U.S. was able to enact a little bit of sweet revenge upon Ghana. And uh, the U.S. plays tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. I will be watching. If you want to come to my home, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Um, now, not all of you are um, soccer or football fans. Uh, some of you may know that recently there was the NBA Finals. And it was a rematch of last year's NBA Finals. And last year, I think it was about a year ago today, I stood up here and used uh, that, uh, those finals as, as an illustration. And that was last year one of the, the closest, best uh, played finals in NBA history. It was game seven. And uh, the Spurs really felt that that got away from them and that they deserved to win and they just lost it to the Heat. And so they made no, um, they made no secret about how this year they wanted to take back the title that was rightfully theirs, that was taken away last year. And, and they wanted to beat the Miami Heat to prove that they were the better team. And so they did. They were able to enact a little bit of revenge and um, pay back for what happened last year. So this year, the Spurs won easily uh, in uh, five games, I believe. Well, <clears throat> today we're going to talk about this concept of revenge, retaliation, retribution, payback, vengeance, all of these not-so-nice terms that Jesus talks about in the scripture that was read. Many of us have seen Disney movies. Some of you really like superhero or action films. And in most of those films, there's usually a, a good person, good guy, good girl, and a bad person, bad guy, bad girl. And in those, uh, something happens that angers the bad guy or the bad girl. And so they want to... Um, they, they want to plot their revenge upon whatever they perceived was an injustice. Um, and in some of those movies, however, it, we actually cheer on the good guy or the good girl because they've been 
harmed and hurt. And so we cheer them on to seek, as they seek out revenge and retribution for whatever Ill, ills have um, befallen them. Well, we generally don't sit in our basements or our rooms or our bedrooms and plot how we're going to take revenge on that evil boss we have or that evil colleague we have or that teacher that I just can't stand or whatever it is. Um, but we, we tend to use nicer terms when we try to get back at people. We stand up for justice, for what's right. Or we stand up for our rights as an American. That's a huge thing. Stand up for your rights or stand up for those who can't stand up for their own rights. Um, or we use nicer things like, well, we don't want to be a pushover. You know, we don't want people to run all over us, so we've got to defend ourselves a little bit. Um, so we do this in our everyday lives subconsciously all the time. Now, we all have been on a crowded uh, train or a crowded lift or elevator, if you're American, and it's already tightly packed, and there's no way anyone else can get in. And the doors are about ready to close when there's always that guy, and it's usually a guy. And he, you know, squeezes his way in, and he's always wearing a big backpack. <laughs> and so he squeezes in even more, and everybody is getting scrunched. And so once you're pushed up against someone, your natural response is to push them back, right? That's what we want to do. Um, you know, for those of you who drive, I'm a new driver, so I'm still getting used to Hong Kong, and it just annoys me when the drivers here really just, um, you know, there's a line of cars, and they want to go around the line and cut in in front of everyone else because they don't want to be nice and wait. And so um, I've had instances where someone has tried to cut in, and I look over, and I'm like, ah-ah, and I cut them off from cutting me off. Right? And so we want to show them that they should have, if they wanted to be here, get in line, right? Um, all of us have been at restaurants and they've gotten our food order wrong. Uh, we've been at um, other places where we're at a hotel or we're, we're, we're somewhere and the customer service is, um, is really terrible. And actually, they, they, they've had a bad day. They don't want to be there, and they take it out on you. And so what do we often want to do? We want to talk to the manager and file a complaint. Now, we say, well, they didn't treat me right, so they should treat me right. So I'm going to complain about them. But it's not really with the intent of, you know, making a, right, uh, making a wrong right. We just want to get them back. You know, we want the boss to yell at them and make them have as bad a day as they made us have. Um, recently, uh, our helper, Marilyn, some of you know her, Gingging, um, she was shopping at Park and Shop, and um, she, she came home later. When, when I came home from work, she told me about the experience she had, and um, they were causing a lot of trouble for her, and publicly in front of other customers saying things that they shouldn't have and telling her that they couldn't do a certain transaction that she's always done ever since she's been working for us for three years. So the manager got involved and, and they told her to stand aside. They'd, they'd work on it. Well, 30 minutes later, she's still waiting. And so when she's telling me about that, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to make a phone call. And I'm getting ready to, you know, just lash out. Because I'm kind of like that. I'm a principled guy and when someone violates a principle, i got to fight for that right and that principle. Um, and so here's someone, and, and of course I'm racing like, well, maybe because she's Filipino and they're not treating her nice because of that. Maybe it's a racial thing, you know. And so I'm, I'm going through all, all the things. So I said, give me the receipt. I'm going to look at the name and I'm going to call the manager and I'm going to tell him this person treated you badly. 
And so I was all ready to do that. And then something distracted me. I didn't get to it. And it was by God's grace I didn't make that phone call. Because later I was convicted. Because I, I had to ask myself, why, why do I need to call? Why do I need to make this complaint? Yes. Did they treat her in an inappropriate way? Yes. But what is calling the manager going to do? I'm just going to get more angry. I'm going to feel good. But what are they going to do to that lady? Yell at her? Fire her? I mean, does that bring me happiness? And so I had to really look at my motives. And so my motive was, I was just wanting to get back. And you know, Jesus, um, when he was talking to uh, the Jewish people in the Sermon in the Mount here, he deals with this issue of payback, getting back, uh, standing up for your rights. And so he mentions in the passage that was read in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always starts, well not always, but in several of the passages, he starts with, you have heard. Okay, you have heard that it was said, do not commit murder. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. You've heard that it was said um, that if you want a divorce, you can get a certificate of divorce um, to keep your oaths. And he's always referring back to something that was in the Bible, that was in the Old Testament law. And so he's referencing the issue that uh, the Jews were struggling with. And the problem wasn't that the Jewish people did not know what the Bible said. They knew what the Bible said. The problem was, in many of these instances, they were misunderstanding, misapplying, and misinterpreting what the heart, of, the heart was behind uh, these commands. And so here you have this command, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which is in the Old Testament law. Well, what people were doing in Jesus' day is they were taking this principle and they were applying it in order to justify retaliation. They were using this concept to actually say, it is right for me. The Bible says not only is it okay, but it's right for me to get back at you. If you talk behind my back, well, I, I'm allowed biblically to talk behind your back. You push me, I'm allowed to push you. If you steal from me, I'm allowed to steal something from you. And, and so on and so forth. Well, the problem is, is that eye for an eye was in a legal context. And basically, um, it was to ensure that if someone committed a, a, an offense or a crime, that that person would receive a punishment in proportion to the crime or offense that they committed. In, in, American, in America, we have an idiom that says, uh, we have a justice system that tries to ensure that the punishment fits the crime. Okay? In other words, so that one, um, you wouldn't get too harsh of a punishment for something small. Like, um, you know, you, a, a boy steals some candy from another boy and, and they, they chop their hand off for stealing, okay? It was to prevent something outrageous like that. And, and the opposite. Um, it was to ensure that if someone committed an egregious act, that they would face a punishment that was comparable to the act that they committed. So, in other words, if someone committed murder that they wouldn't just get a slap on the hand or a slap on the wrist. And so it was to, to ensure that there would be a just punishment for the crime. Um, the whole principle of eye for eye was never intended to encourage personal retaliation. 
It was never to encourage that if someone has a quarrel with you, that, that you are encouraged to get back at them. In fact, the, it's ironic because the opposite was true. Eye for eye was meant to prevent people from taking revenge or justice into their own hands. And in fact, in the Old Testament law, that is what God says exactly. In this context where we hear about an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, God says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And later in Proverbs, it it repeats this idea. It says, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. And do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. And so Jesus is starting out here by saying, okay, you have taken this passage that says eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and you've been misapplying it. Here's how what that principle really means, and here's how you're to live out um, this concept when you do have interpersonal conflict with someone else or someone who has harmed you um, or insulted you or whatever. And the first thing Jesus talks about, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, when we read God's word, and especially here in the book of Matthew, and we read Jesus' words, we have to read it as if we were a first century Jew. Okay? Because, one, Jesus was talking to uh, the Jews, and also Matthew specifically was writing to a Jewish audience. Often we read the Bible in our modern-day personal and cultural lens, so to speak. And so we have to kind of place ourselves in that first-century Jewish setting as if Jesus was talking to us at that time. When I was younger, I really didn't understand what this meant because where I grew up in the States, if you hit somebody on the cheek, it was usually with a fist, and that would not feel very good, okay, like a fist fight. And so I wrestled with as a kid, like, so does that mean if, if a bully at school punches me, then I just have to turn the other cheek and say, okay, here's the other target, oh, you know. And, and I really struggled with that. Well, if we read this as if we were a first century Jew, we would understand what Jesus is talking about, okay. Um, being slapped on the, the right side of the cheek, if someone is facing you, to hit you on the... Um, right side of the cheek, often in that culture, would be with the back hand of your right hand. And it would go across your face as a slap. And this was actually very characteristic of a Jewish form of insult. Okay, this is the way that you would publicly or show that, um, that you're insulting that person. And so Jesus tells us that we are not to trade such insults even if it means receiving more. It doesn't mean we have to invite more insults, but inevitably people will insult us, people will hurt us with their words and maybe even push us physically, and yet we're not to retaliate. And you know, the thing about Jesus that I love is he never taught anything that he wasn't willing to live out himself. And if we read, um, Peter has a a great um, account of how Jesus responded in these situations. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, what did he do? He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't say, 
you're going to pay for what you've done. No. He didn't make any threats. And instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, Jesus was God on earth. He was the king of the universe. And there was no, he had every right to, quote, stand up for his rights, right? Jesus was being brutalized as if he was the worst of sinners, and yet he is the only sinless being or person that's ever lived. And so the injustice there is incredible, and yet he does not retaliate, he doesn't make any threats, and he entrusted himself to God, the Father, who is the one who can make the wrongs right. And there's an account in uh, John 18 where he does, when he's being interrogated before he's crucified, he is slapped on the face, and he doesn't retaliate. Now, first of all, um, as I mentioned earlier, what... It's important for us to understand what this does not mean. And I think that is important for us to hear because there, is, there are times where we are severely in danger or, um, or hurt, both uh, physically and verbally and emotionally and whatnot. So this does not mean that we should invite or subject ourselves to insults, insults and abuse. Okay? It doesn't mean that if somebody is... Um, is treating you horribly with their words that you have to continually be around that person. It may be better for you to remove yourself from that friendship. Um, It doesn't mean that if uh, someone has raped you that you have to let it continue happening. It doesn't mean that if um, someone has stolen from you that you have to continue inviting that person into your house. Um, I'll give an example. When I was growing up as a teenager, there was a a man who had some um, mental issues who lived in our community, and uh, we got to know him, and uh, we tried to be loving and kind to him because many in society rejected him. So we would invite him over, and he would come over for Christmas uh, and Thanksgiving celebrations, um, and, and we would have him into our home. And so after a while, though, we started noticing that certain items were missing. And they were only missing when he would come over. And now they were small things, like toothpaste and whatnot. It wasn't anything major. But then he started, uh, uh, we, we talked to him about it, and he denied it. So we thought, okay. Um, and then he started stealing a little bit more valuable items. And that's when my parents confronted him to say, you know, did you do this? And he still denied it, but then we, we kind of showed how we knew he was the one who took it. And so we had to sadly ask him not to return back to our home, that he wasn't invited because he had broken that trust. But we still loved him, and we would still, you know, see him in the community and, and whatnot. Um, and he would try to come into our house sometimes, and we had to not let him. And I think that's consistent. Um, and, and we did say that if you do it, do it more, then we might have to call the police. And so that's consistent with what Jesus is saying. We do not have to subject ourselves to physical, mental, emotional abuse that's continual. Sometimes the right thing is to maybe get that person some help, and sometimes we do need to tell the authorities. However, what that does mean, and what Jesus is saying, is that we shouldn't retaliate when people do inevitably harm us. So when that that man 
stole from us, it wouldn't have been right for us to say, well, we're going to go and steal something from him. Or we're going to damage his property. You know, we shouldn't retaliate. Um, And you know what? This is so hard. When we think about our interpersonal relationships at our home, in our schools, at our places of work, at church, you know, sometimes, inevitably, there's going to be conflict with people. And people are going to say things that are really going to hurt us. They're going to do things that really are really going to hurt us. And when we just kind of suck it up and we don't retaliate, it may mean that we're going to have to lose face. And that's really hard. I remember when I was in middle school, when I was in uh, grade 7 in junior high, um, I was uh, sitting at class, and um, I wasn't very far back um, where I was sitting, but the teacher noticed I was leaning forward and squinting as hard as I could just to see what was written. And so after class, I remember the teacher telling me that, you know, you really should get your eyes checked to consider if you need to get glasses. And I was like, no way, man. That's, I'm never going to wear glasses. That's so uncool. Um, I didn't want to look nerdy and whatnot. Because middle school was already a rough time for me. Um, it was in that transition that um, I, I was kind of lonely because a lot of my primary friends um, deserted me and, and I was still trying to fit in. I wanted acceptance. Um, during that time, my body was changing. I was going through puberty. My voice was changing. Um, <laughs> And so it was just an, an awkward time, and I didn't want something else to be an awkwardness in, in relate, relating to people. And my biggest fear was um, people are going to call me the dreaded name Four Eyes. Okay, that was a dreaded insult, and because you got your two eyes plus two eyes, four. Okay, I don't have to explain it. Um, and so I was like, no, I'm going to get made fun of. And so um, I didn't say anything, and it was like a week later, and... They, that my teacher finally called my parents because they said, you know, Dan's really struggling to see. You need to get his eyes checked. So I did. And um, my biggest fear was that I would go to school looking like this. <laughs> now, that's from high school. I don't know what I was thinking in high school. You've seen this picture before. Some Delph- Yeah, anyway. But that was my biggest fear. And so when I was... When I came into school that first day, I was so nervous, and I'm like, please, I I pleaded with God, please don't let someone make fun of me or call me four eyes. And so I I go to class, and it was was a mixed class with the seventh and eighth grade. And there was a big jock who was really big, really stocky, um, who played American football, and he was known as like the tough guy of the school, he was the bully of the school. And uh, he was in that class. And I just sat in the back, the whole class, quiet, didn't want to interact with anyone. And when the class was over, we started walking out. Now, that football player had, um, like, injured or broken his leg or his foot, um, so he was on crutches. And so as I was walking towards the door, um, I knew he was right behind me, so I kind of stepped aside a little bit to let him through because I was a nice guy, (laughs) a nice nerdy guy, apparently. And so I just stood there, and he used his crutches to propel himself and he used his good leg and he propelled himself and pushed me in the rear end. He kicked me and pushed me through the door. And when he did that, guess what he said? Move it, four eyes! Oh! And I was crushed. And I was like, oh, but then... Something snapped in me, 
And I turned around and I said, you never call me four eyes. And I swung and I hit him and I knocked him out in one punch. <laughs> and to this day, the reputation is there that scrawny Dan Tupps knocked out the, the biggest, brawniest football player of the school. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I just fixed my glasses and kept walking. <laughs> and my self-esteem went from here, because it was already low, to boom, into the basement. And, and I did struggle with self-esteem for a little bit. Now, that was an awful experience. It was not fun to go through. But you know what? God's grace is sufficient. I made it through middle school. <laughs> I made it through high school. I married a beautiful wife. What were you thinking? Um, and here I am today. And, and I only share that to say, you know what? I could have retaliated. I could have gotten in a fight. But what would that have done? Probably would have gotten me beat up more. <laughs> and so um, we're not to retaliate or get back, and sometimes we have to lose face, but we can do so for God's kingdom because God's grace is enough. Uh, Jesus continues by saying, and if some, anyone wants to sue you um, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. You know, just like today, um, at this time where Jesus was speaking, people used lawsuits irresponsibly. I mean, Pastor Mike shared about the lady who uh, sued McDonald's because she was in a car, she was in the, driver, the passenger seat and had the coffee between her legs and spilt it and sued because, oh, coffee is hot, I didn't know, um, and won a multi-million dollar lawsuit. Um, and so in Jesus' day, people were doing similar things. They were bringing lawsuits to um, intimidate people, uh, to uh, settle personal disputes. And um, really, the legal system has always been to, to right egregious wrongs, not to settle personal issues. Well, at this time in Jesus' day, um, <clears throat> a shirt, or in some translations, a tunic, uh, was the inner garment and often that would be re required to be given as collateral for a debt, okay, payment of a debt. And once you pay that off, you can get that back. Well, according to Jewish law, you could not expect to take the outer garment or the cloak or coat of someone um, as collateral. Uh, you could take it for the daytime, but you were required to give it back at night. And the reason was, is actually the, the Jewish law was to protect the poorest of the poor, because as you could imagine, it was the poor people that needed to borrow money the most or were in the most, uh, had the most need. And so, <clears throat> and so they needed that garment, that outer garment, to keep them warm at night, um, and, and many of them slept in that. And so when Jesus says, you know, if someone requires your, to give your shirt, give your coat as well, what is he saying? Well, Jesus is suggesting that we are to do or we are to give more than what is expected of us. We're to give more of what's expected to us and even for and maybe especially for our so-called adversary, the person that we're odds with, someone that isn't kind to us. Jesus continues with this idea of going or doing more when he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Um, if you're not American... A mile is about a one and a half kilometers, a little more than that. Um, so Jesus is saying, if someone requires you to go 
one and a half kilometers, go with them three kilometers. Um, some of you may have heard the term going the extra mile. Well, that comes from this. Isn't it neat how God's word is practical to all aspects of life? And so, again, um, Jesus expects that we um, do even more than we're required. Now, at this time, uh, the people would have understood what Jesus was referring to because the Romans, just like many other surrounding nations at this time, would often require their citizens to uh, help transport the military equipment for the soldiers. And that meant not only providing whatever you had as resources, a horse or a cart or whatever, but it often required that you would have to travel with them and physically be with them. And that would often come at great inconvenience to you. Because in Jesus' day, the average person didn't receive a, a monthly salary like we do in Hong Kong or even a weekly salary, but they lived day by day by day. And so they had to literally go to work and earn enough money so they could feed their family at night and survive for the coming day. That's when Jesus, later in the uh, Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread, because that's how they lived. They had to trust God that, God, you'll provide for me to be able to eat today, for me to provide for my family. And so if they at that time were required to travel that distance, you know, three kilometers and then three kilometers back, they would miss a good portion of the workday and possibly miss out on income to feed themselves and their family. And yet, what does Jesus say? If we're required to do something that may inconvenience us, that may we don't think is right, go ahead and do even more than what's required of you. And then he concludes by saying this, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Give to the one who asks you. This is a, a really challenging one, and especially in Hong Kong, because... Well, in Asian culture in general, because there is such a thing as family honor and helping our family and helping those in need. And so this concept of borrowing and giving and lending and, and you know, your resources are the same as your parents' resources, uh, it, it, can get, it can get muddy. It can, be, um, it can be a little tricky at times. Um, and so this is something that happens a lot um, and it's very difficult to, to understand, well, what is Jesus saying here? Does this mean that every person who comes to me, I need to give them what they ask for, what they want? Um, well, first of all, this does not mean we are to give to everyone everything that they want. This does not mean that we are to give everything to everyone who asks for what they want. Some people will have legitimate needs. And I believe that Jesus is referring here, he's assuming that the people asking and who need to borrow have a legitimate need. But not everyone has a legitimate need. A lot of people have wants, and um, a lot of people have bad habits or bad addictions, or maybe they are paying off a gambling debt, or they are funding their drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And so if we were to give to every, everyone everything that they wanted, it wouldn't be good for that person or for us. It would be not teaching that person to take responsibility. It would be teaching them or perpetuating their dependency. And it might be funding a habit that is not scripturally acceptable or biblically acceptable. And so also for us, if we give everything to everyone who wants it, 
then we're not necessarily being good stewards of what God's given us. So we have to be careful. But what it does mean is that we should be generous even and especially to those who maybe weren't so generous with us. And if we read this in the context of what Jesus is talking about, of interpersonal um, conflict and, and people that we're at odds with, I think what Jesus is saying here is that you know, there will be people and there will be times in your life, there will be times in your life where you have a legitimate need. You've been hurt, you've been harmed, you've been wronged, you've had an emergency, and you go to someone or you go to a group of people and you ask for help and they turn you away and they're not willing to help you. And what Jesus is saying is there will come a day or may come a day when those people have a genuine need and they may come to you. And Jesus is saying, don't retaliate. (laughs) Don't say, well, you didn't help me when I needed it, so I'm not going to help you. And that often can be the way we feel because they hurt us so deeply. But Jesus is saying, no, even if they weren't generous to you, you need to be generous to them. Now, why is that? The Bible says that before we come to know Christ, we are enemies of God. We're adversaries with God. We are at odds with God. There is a conflict with God. And before we come to know Christ, we we don't even think about God. We don't acknowledge His existence. We may even deny it. We may reject God. We may even hate God. We may even hate the concept of Him trying to rule our life, and we don't want to be under that. And we live our own life. And yet... What did, G- what did God do for us? He sent Jesus, his only son, to die for us. And when we come to faith in him, or we come to God saying, God, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I want to give my life to you. Does God say, well, no. You had your chance, and you decided to live your own way. You're on your own. No. He welcomed us in, not just to be his follower, but to be part of his family. Even though we have harmed him and wronged him and insulted him and and offended him in the most egregious ways, he welcomed us. And he welcomed us back into his family. And so we too, especially as Christians, when we've received that generosity from God, how can we not be generous, even and especially to those who were not generous with us? I believe Paul summarizes Jesus' words here Uh, so powerfully in Romans chapter 12. And he says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, when we're in interpersonal relationships, there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be where we hurt someone and they're going to hurt us. But notice Paul's words here, as as far as it depends on you. We can't control other people's actions. We can't control how they will treat us, and we can't control how they'll respond to us if we seek forgiveness or we try to seek reconciliation. What we can control is our actions. What we can control is our response. And so if it's all possible, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, this is talking about a personal enemy, okay? Um, If there's someone you have personal conflict with. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Isn't that interesting? What Paul is saying is if you really want... Actually, he's quoting, but... If you really want to get someone back, do something good for them. (laughs) Because if you try to repay them the same evil that they repaid you, it's just going to escalate. They're going to do something even worse to you. And then you're going to want to do something even worse to them. But if you want to diffuse that, do something nice. (laughs) Do something loving for them. And maybe that will be the bridge it takes to help reconcile the relationship. Then Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I just want to close with a couple points that um, I think stand out that I want to leave with you as we think about how does this apply to us? How does this apply to our lives if we think about Jesus' words here? Well, the first thing is we are to be agents of grace. I think Jesus is screaming out to his followers, We need to be agents of grace. And yes, what that means is we treat people in a way they don't deserve. We treat people with love and kindness and goodness, even if they haven't treated us with that. We're to be agents of grace. And then also, don't just not retaliate. That's kind of the easy part if you think about it. It's kind of easy for us to just muster up the strength and say, okay, I'm not going to talk back. Okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. But we're not just to put up a barrier. We're also to go even more than that. I think Jesus challenges us to positively, on the positive side, seek to do good to those who may mistreat us or those who we are at odds with. Do something good for them, right? All of us inevitably either are wrestling with or dealing with a situation now with someone that we have conflict with or it's happened in the past and it's going to happen again. May we be people who are agents of grace. May we be people who seek to do good rather than retaliate to those that we might have conflict with. I don't know who you may be experiencing conflict with or have or will. It could be people within your family could be classmates at school or teachers. It could be at work with your colleagues, with your boss. It could be here at church. We can't control how everyone will treat us, but we can control how we treat and respond to others. And so may we ask for God's help and God's strength to honor him in the way that we respond. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it gives us truth. It gives us guidance into how we live this life. Lord, forgive us for those times where we just want to get back at people. Lord, even in my life, it's such a struggle. And my natural response is to try to pay them back or or stand up for justice. And really, my heart is just, I want them to suffer like I suffered. 
But God, remind me, remind us that, that you were generous with us, that you gave us your grace, that you loved us in spite of the fact that we didn't love you back. Lord, we're undeserving, and we received your grace. Help us to give that same grace to others. Help us to do good to those that may want to harm us. And in doing so, may it bring glory to you, and God, may it bring those people to know you as well. We just want to thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.